0: and let's get this ball rolling. Good morning, challenges That Change us superstars. Welcome back for another week. I want to send my love to each and every one of you, hoping that you are not just well, but absolutely thriving in every aspect of your life. As a vibrant community of seekers, dreamers, and all-round awesome humans, we are here to uplift, inspire, and support one another on this incredible journey. We love sharing our passion with you all, and today we have a really exciting opportunity. Let me tell you a quick story. I run a disc profiling workshop where we work with companies and business owners, and we make an incredible impact on their organization to bring people together and scale the efficiency of their teams. And what's really interesting is that I talked about this once on my podcast and I got two conversations that led to two clients. I'm giving you the opportunity now to speak with my clients as a podcast sponsor. As loyal listeners, you know that producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources. And that's why we're here today, not just to talk to you about our latest episode, but to reach out to the incredible companies and organizations out there who are just as passionate about our podcast as we are. If you're a business owner or marketing professional, why don't you get in touch and we can have a conversation about the type of people that listen to our podcast and how you could actually get involved from a sponsorship opportunity. We will help you gain exposure. We will get you to tell your story and you can tell us about why your product is important to you and to the audience. And better yet, we would really love to connect you with those individuals we think would be most successful. Look. You may not be a business owner yourself or in marketing, but if you know someone who you think would really like to advertise on this podcast because it suits their brand, why don't you let them know? All you got to do is DM or email me today. Now, let me introduce you to this legend, Wayne Rubin. He is a highly experienced international leader who provides coaching, mentoring, and advisory services to founders and C-level leaders through impactful leadership consulting. Wayne is an accomplished CEO with decades of senior leadership experience, focused in APAC and Australia. His experience spans multiple sectors, including healthcare, FMCG and financial services. Wayne has led teams up to 600 direct employees and revenues up to 550 million US. He's lived and worked in both China and Singapore and has had significant exposure to the boards of public multinational companies, as well as carrying responsibility as a member of global leadership teams. On a side note, Wayne has also completed 10 marathons and is the host of the incredible podcast, High Yards in Leadership. Today, Wayne shares some of his most profound life lessons from his personal and his professional journey. Join us as we dive deep into the challenges he encountered, which played significant role in shaping the remarkable individual that he is today. Please note that you may notice some background noise in this episode. We began recording only to find ourselves accompanied with the distant sounds of construction work nearby. Although we've made every effort to minimise this impact, we wanted to let you know in advance. So if you come across a slight background noise during this episode, rest assured that it is only temporary, and it does not detract from the valuable insights shared. Let me introduce you to the man himself. Welcome, Wayne, to Challenges That Changes. Thank you for coming on today.
1: Hello, great to be here.
0: And Wayne, I love to start every episode with asking our guests what animal best describes you, and what is it about that animal in particular?
1: Weirdly, i probably spent more time thinking about this than any, any other part of preparing for this, uh, <laughs> this interview.
0: <laughs> the hardest question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it literally came down to that. Like, since I was a kid, I always loved elephants, but there's actually nothing much about elephants that really describes me. So I won't go there, but I end up coming up with owl. And the reason for that is, I think in the first instance, owls tend to sit high in trees and kind of watch what's going on. They sit back and watch and observe and they're kind of, you know, they're seen as being kind of like a wise animal and all this sort of stuff, but they're great watchers and they have fantastic eyes. And I think a lot of how I've become as a leader in business and just in my personal life and stuff, I think I'm someone who probably watches and listens more than wanting to necessarily kind of like be the center of attention. And I'd like to think that over the years I've gathered a little bit of wisdom. So I think owls just come with it, but I've worked on trying to be as wise a person as I can be through the gathering of wisdom through different ways. So I'm going with the owl.
0: I couldn't quite think of what animal I'd choose, but of course it's an owl because the words I wrote down for you was wise, calm, sit back and watch and observe. So yeah, we're on the same page with that one.
1: (laughs) That's kind of cute, isn't it?
0: Let's just, before we get into the story, let's just talk about hard yards in leadership because you have a podcast as well, which is amazing for anyone out there that's in the leadership space or looking to listen to some really great conversations. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that podcast before we get into it? Because it might set the scene a little bit.
1: Sure, with delight. When I stepped out of being kind of front and center in, you know, kind of big leadership roles in the corporate world about a year ago, um, I really had a great sense of desire to want to do some things that kind of gave back. And I've, I've always been quite obsessed with kind of trying to help newer leaders, younger leaders on their journey. And that became more and more important to me, kind of like as my career progressed. And one of the things that I constantly came across with people who were especially newer in their leadership journey was this sense of like there's so many things I find hard about leadership and that, you know, things that keep me up at night. And, you know, I just really have a lot of self-doubt about, am I cut out for this? And like, maybe, you know, maybe I'm just not right. And, you know, these days we call it imposter syndrome, but that has its own connotations. But the thing that I always found in sort of like mentoring conversations and so on is that I'd always end up saying to people, like, what are the things you're talking about? And they'd talk about you know, hard people issues and, and you know, the hard decisions we have to make in business. And I go, I've been doing this for decades and I find that's that same stuff really hard too. And what I consistently saw was people finding a great sense of kind of relief in hearing that experienced leaders in senior roles could say, I find the same stuff difficult as what you're saying you find difficult. But for me, I'd normalized it over time and for other folks, they hadn't normalized and it creates a lot of self-doubt. And so... The concept of hard yards in leadership was born from from that. And I really wanted to put something out there that a lot more people could access, that people could hear from experienced leaders in business. And, you know, I've also spoken to people with military backgrounds and from field of education and not-for-profits and, you know, all manner of different sorts of fields, but experienced leaders telling their honest stories of things that they just find difficult And whether it's they find difficult now or times that they really screw it up at different times along along the way, and just being really, you know, open about putting that out there. And I got to say, there's been a tremendous amount of joy in hearing back from people that I've never heard of who kind of go, hey, someone sort of recommended me to your podcast and I listened to this particular episode, Ali Flynn, or whoever it might have been. And, you know, I heard them talking about something that they find really difficult. It's like, that's exactly what I'm going through now. And suddenly I kind of realized, hey, I'm I'm not someone who should be self-doubting, I find the same things difficult as everyone else does. And I think that's a really important space. So that's my
0: podcast. Do you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking about, I've always worked rurally, like in New South Wales, out West, and now we're in Armidale. And and one of the things that I always find is when I go to the cities and I go to a big conference or I go to a workshop or something, it helps me have perspective on kind of like what other people are struggling with or where I sit in the field or because I just lose perspective of that when I'm in this tiny little office by myself leading a team of a couple of different companies. It's like, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know if I'm getting it all wrong. I don't know if I'm learning. I don't know, you know, because I'm yeah. sometimes so narrow focused and, and just having that width and that, that broad thinking and listening to other people's stories. I know that's something that I get really valuable out of your podcast as well. It's like when I go to the city and I see all the other people and I think, oh, they're finding that hard too or actually that's something I find really easy but I actually find this hard and they find that easy, you know? And, you know, let's
1: face it, business these days is hard leading people is incredibly difficult and the environment that we find ourselves in today post covid era and all that sort of stuff and all of the thing all of the changes that we've all been through like stuff's hard and one of the most validating things that that we can do for other people is to help people realize that we find that hard too and then you kind of don't feel like there must be something wrong with me. If we can take away that part of saying there's something wrong with me, that can be incredibly liberating for people. And I think it's important that we kind of, you know, all recognize the, the role that we can play in helping others feel better about the things that they find difficult in life. I mean, for me, I, I focus in the space of business and leadership because that's kind of, that's my thing. But as parents, we we validate to one another by going, oh, yeah, that's really tough. And, you know, I went through something like that with my kid as well. And it's like, oh, I thought I was the only one that, that's teenager, kind of hated them and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. We validate it to each other. It's important that we do that.
0: Oh, and I'm so aware that we could go down this business track. Like I know you and I get super excited. We're both so passionate in this field, but we are not talking about that today. For you, we're actually going to be talking about something a lot more personal, something that happened to you really early on in your career that was life-changing. Do you want to take us back to kind of setting the scene for the beginning of what happened?
1: Here's the story. So I was an only child and my dad had his own business, importing and distribution business and so on. And yeah, it was a medium-sized business it had about 30 people or whatever it might be. And the business had been was actually started by his father, so it kind of had been, you know, in the family for a, you know, whole bunch of years. Some cool products, French perfumes and skincare and stuff like that. And my dad had never really particularly encouraged me to come into the business, but I'd kind of built up a sense of that's something that I wanted to do, but he was insistent that I kind of went off and did university and all those sorts of things. So I studied commerce and law and marketing and whatever, and, you know, popped out the other end and full of my academic knowledge and whatever else, you know, went and joined my dad in business. and And it was in the days of when interest rates had gone really crazy. It's funny, we've got, you know, we've got five or six percent interest rates at the moment and everyone's going, oh, such high interest rates. And you know, back then, I remember we got to a stage, we were paying 18% interest on the business overdraft. And, you know, when you're in, you know, kind of like small to medium business, and you're running on an overdraft, and suddenly you realise that the biggest single expense every month is actually paying the bank interest fees, it can be extraordinarily challenging. And and for the first time in that company's time, a couple of years in, to me working with my dad, you know, we were really kind of staring at this thing going this isn't going so well. And anyone out there who's had your own business, one of the biggest things that's different between working for a, a corporation and having your own business, especially if you've got stock and premises and staff and everything else, is you have a bank overdraft and the bank actually secures that with effectively a second mortgage over your house. And our business, both my dad's house and my house, were securities on the, on the overdrafts. You know that obviously creates a certain amount of of, of pressure when you sense that the you know the, there's a question mark over the business's viability. One of the things we chose to do was to look for another business to potentially merge with and see if we could become a more efficient bigger business and we worked through two potential paths and ended up choosing one and we had and this was someone who had a similar business, probably about twice the size of what ours was the m d of that business was someone that my dad had known for his entire life, trusted very greatly, et cetera, et cetera, whole series of negotiations and whatever else, and, and, and we decided to, to go through this merge. So we did all the paperwork, whatever it might be. We physically moved into their premises, and we created a new org structure and whatever else. And essentially from the day that we physically moved in, the MD of the other business, who was then the MD of the entire business, went fully. I think she saw me as someone, our staff, the team that we brought in, I had, you know, really good relations with them and, you know, that she could see that, you know, we had a warm relationship within our our business and, and a lot of that was associated with me and she didn't like that. She wanted to be kind of like the absolute top dog. And I think she didn't see my dad as being a threat. He was kind of close to retirement age and wherever else. And he'd kind of moved back into kind of an executive director kind of a role. And I was running the business. And so I was in a kind of like 2IC position in the, in the new business. And literally on a daily basis, she would call me in and scream at me over something that she'd found. And they're the most minuscule things. You know, some of the stories, some of the stories are almost funny. I mean, she picked up a page that I'd been scribbling on that had been on my desk. And she said, is this your writing? And I said, yes. And she said, in red pen. And I said, yes. And she said, I am the only person in this organisation who was authorised to use a red pen. And I'm thinking, is there a camera here? Like, is this, is there something?
0: What? Like, is this what we're really having a conversation about? But you can laugh about it now, but I cannot imagine what it would have been like in the moment.
1: In the moment. I mean, it was the weirdest of things. But there was there was a daily thing that she would just like literally yell at me over, and I guess there's an extraordinary amount of pressure that goes with being having a sense of your parents' house being caught up in a business, your own house is caught up in a business. You've got thirty staff that you've brought across. You know, we'd we'd made the decision to merge the businesses. We'd got all the staff together and said, this is the you know, we believe this is the best thing for all of us, for the business's of Viability and for all of you. And with every bit of my soul, I believed it was the right thing. What we'd actually done then was walked into something that wasn't. She had, the MD of the other business, had clearly a second intention. And unfortunately, she misused my dad's trust so we found ourselves in an extraordinarily hostile position and I was at the centre of the circle. I, I was the one with the spotlight on me. And that situation essentially just got worse and worse literally on a daily basis over probably something like six months. And then there was a particular thing where it was like there was a board meeting on a particular day and literally the morning before the board meeting, she called me in and, and said, and it's funny, the things you remember, this is like 35 years ago or something. And she said, have you prepared the detailed inventory valuation for the board tomorrow? And I was like, no, it's not on the, there's nothing on the board papers that says we have to have that. And her position was, well, you should know that because we're doing forecasts and various other things that you need that. So I remember I, I literally worked on that all day and literally stayed up all night because it was a, a relatively manual exercise. And, you know, surprise, surprise, there were some mistakes in it and whatever else. And so the next day, there was another kind of series of kind of like, you know, dressing downs and whatever else it might be. And the next night, I woke up at about two in the morning with like really severe chest pains. I'm in my late 20s. And I'm sitting there in bed going, this is an out-of-body experience, but I feel like Someone is like stabbing me with a knife and twisting it, and all I can think is, I think that's what they say it feels like to be having a heart attack. How long do you sit living with that going on and getting worse before you go, I have to press the panic button here, wake up my wife and say, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I think this is what might be going on. I think you need to get me to a hospital. Fast forward a few hours and I find myself in in St. Vincent's ICU covered in, you know, electronic gadgets and, and you know, whatever else and monitors and and whatever. And I can remember as clearly as if it happened this morning, looking around that room and seeing 70, 80, 90 year old people all, you know, covered with the same kind of gadgetry and going, This is not somewhere that I'm supposed to be right now. Like how have I let this happen? Like I was always physically quite fit, but the power of, I guess, someone else getting at your emotions and the sense of like, everyone's relying on me, you know, my parents, my family and our team, I felt the responsibility of all of that while she was just, you know, effectively her game plan was to get me to leave the organisation. And sitting in that bed, in that bizarre setting, I made a series of decisions about how I was going to be for the rest of my life. And I've lived through those. I've lived every, every single one of them. I said, I clearly have to rethink the extent of responsibility that I put on my shoulders and have to find the difference between what you can control and what you can't control. I need to recognise that I personally don't want to ever be in the situation again where i have literally mortgages of you know my own family and whatever else i always want to be in a position where the worst thing that can happen to me is someone says you're fired and i go okay and i take my pens and my pencils and i walk out the front door and the biggest thing was to find the difference between recognizing that i will always do the best i can and carrying a sense of responsibility that's greater than doing the best that I can. And those things have largely defined my business life and my personal life, you know, since then. So, you know, fast forwarding a few bits and pieces, probably 20 years later, I was, I was working for a large pharmaceutical company. I was running the substantial chunk of business in very well-known pharmaceutical company in Australia. There'd been some changes in, uh, in, in leadership and whatever else, and someone else was kind of deemed to to need to to be in a position that I unfortunately happened to be in at the time. And I got called in after a very successful year to sit down for my performance review and the the MD was sitting there alongside the HR director and I thought that's a little odd. And they said, you know, we've made a decision to do some fairly substantial restructuring and as a result, you know, you won't have your role anymore. And uh, that was my first experience of an involuntary redundancy. And I asked a couple of questions, realised it was what it was type of thing i basically said okay fine so you know what happens now and they said oh look we've got the kind of a grief counselor kind of person to sit with you and i was like i, I don't i don't need a grief counselor now like no yes you do there's a lot of grief associated with with this and so it's important that you're able to kind of like have someone that you can talk to and i was like i don't need i don't need someone to talk to this. Like, you've just you've taken away my my job you're giving me a chunk of money and like otherwise i'm completely fine like, no, no, you have to do this. So I know will go into this next room. There's this guy there and he casts ask all these questions. He goes, you're coping with this remarkably well. And I said, why wouldn't I be coping with remarkably well? You've taken away my job. You're giving me a chunk of money. I'm fine. My family's fine. I don't have to worry about my house. You don't understand like the contrast in what you think is a big deal versus what I have experienced, which is at a totally another level. It's all right rang my wife and said, We're going to lunch. They're paying me to like go away for six months and I, I reckon I can get another job in a lot less than that. And it was a remarkable validation. I literally remember driving home on that day with a clear sense of the validation of how important it was that I'd kind of like made the decisions that I'd made and was able to put everything else in my life, you know, especially business related things in the context of you know what I'd experienced. You know, I've always tried to be someone who helps others have that perspective. But I have to say I have always done that without actually telling this whole story. So here we go.
0: We could have sat very comfortably in the leadership lane and we could have talked about problems that you've experienced as a leader, everyday problems from your expertise space. But coming on and speaking about this was huge, wasn't it?
1: It is a big deal for me to be quite honest. Because the vast majority of my friends and people who've been close to me don't know this story. And, you know, I was thinking about talking to you today, Ali, and, you know, I got back into that kind of same headspace as what I was talking before about, you know, what, what made me choose to do the podcast and the podcast I chose to do. And the simple fact is I recognize there's a elements of my story that I think can be helpful to other people out there. There's a lot of people out there who, you know, who may, may be listening to this podcast who carry a responsibility, whether whether or not they have things like mortgages over their home, whatever it might be, but even just the res- their sense of responsibility of staff and and other things, and people people carry a massive amount of stress as a result of that responsibility. And I decided that I wanted to share my story because it's incredibly important for people who carry stress to be able to differentiate between I'm doing the best I can and I'm making the best decisions, and I'm working as hard as is reasonably possible, and the fact that sometimes bad things happen, and it's not worth it, it's actually not worth it to feel that even when bad things happen, that I have to kind of still continue to carry that responsibility. Like, at the end of the day, if you can say, I've done my absolute best, I've tried my hardest, I've made the best decisions, and bad things happen, then sometimes it's like bad things happen.
0: Mm. Do you know, as you're saying that, I'm actually thinking about, to put it in perspective from, we're talking about leadership and business, but to put it in as a parent perspective, my daughter got a, a mark that she was so disappointed with two days ago. And it just threw into her tears, right? She's been trying her very very best. But what was the flow on effect from that was that flight fight freeze and she went into freeze mode and she had another assessment and in in school class assessment and she wrote one thing on a whole exam Uh. because she'd frozen. And I had the exact conversation you just had then with my child about you've given your best and that is enough. And you have to hold your head up and sleep at night and go, you know what? I'm not always going to win. I'm not always going to get it where I want it to be. But I did my best and I can sleep straight at night and I can hold my head up and I can say, at least I tried. And I'll go again next time.
1: Yeah. And it's such an important lesson for us to be able to convey as parents to our kids because, you know, so many of us have been in that situation. You know, back in the leadership space, you know, we often, you know, and I know so many people I've worked with as a coach and a mentor and whatever it is, people kind of really get very bound up in when you're staring down having to make redundancies or, you know, when, when really bad things happen and businesses collapse and, and, you know, the sense of, but all of these people are relying on me for their, for their income. And the fact is they were, but they'll get over it. And so often when people lose their job, they dust themselves off. They have a bit of a, bit of a rough patch and then they go out and they find something that's better. You know, maybe they were doing something in their career that was never really floating their boat, but they'd kind of got stuck in that lane and then, and then something happens and that lane's just closed off and they dust themselves off and say, you know what, I've, I'd always wanted to study to be a massage therapist or a counselor or whatever it might be. And they, they go and do that. And 10 years later, you, you, you bump into that person again and you go and, and they say, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, I just think it's so important for, for folks who carry a responsibility to recognise that, you know, bad things do happen and other people will get over whatever it is that's going to happen. And, and if it's a loss of a job or whatever it might be, the sun still comes up tomorrow, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking as you're saying that, that you'd probably have a lot of wisdom around When you notice that you're heading on that road, that you know that you're heading to an outcome that isn't what you wanted or is scary or is going to have a flow-on effect, how do you, with the experience that you've had, make a call? Like when you're in that moment, you're like, I can make a call now. But often what I see is people sit on it for longer trying to stretch it out and it can actually make the flow-on effect, the ripple effect worse at times. How do you... Or what processes do you have in your mind that help you navigate that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Ali. And I think, first of all, there's never a perfect answer. But when you talk about the gathering of wisdom, I think one of the things you you come to realize more as you kind of have a few battle scars in, in life is that sitting on something, you know, once you get past the point that you think the likelihood of an outcome has gone past maybe, I don't know, 60 or 70% sitting on it, and waiting and hoping is generally not a good strategy. It's generally not a favor to you because you're carrying all of the stress of that. And it's really a favor to someone else as well, because if you tell someone, hey, the business is looking pretty bad, you might need to start thinking about your options. And they say, so how bad is it looking? It's kind of like, well, actually, we're going to be closing next week. And they go, how long have you known that it was going bad? It's like probably six months. So Six months ago or five months ago, you could have told me and you know, I could have started sort of looking to, you know, do some other courses or looking for other options or whatever it might be. But you kind of sat on it. It's like I was hoping it was going to get better. So it's operating with good intent, but actually it, it doesn't do anyone a favor. So, so something that I've really learnt to do is when you can see things aren't going well in a particular, in a particular path and you get past a probability of maybe 60 or 70%, and there's no exact number, is there? But certainly by that stage, you want to be sending warning bells to people. And I think it's the greatest favor that you can do people is tell people relatively early rather than kind of keep it a secret and wait and wait and wait, and then, and then everything collapses. And then there's this, there's this significant added irritant to people of you've been sitting on this knowledge and you didn't choose to tell me. And people find that disrespectful.
0: And it feels like a loss of trust. But I'm thinking about often we sit in that space because of our ego or because of fear or because we don't actually know what to say or we're worried about their reaction. If we tell them now, they might go and we actually still need them. So, you know, how do you kind of manage that part of it?
1: All of those possible consequences are real, right? You know, they they sit in two baskets. One of them are things that we think about ourselves and I think there's an element of self-programming that's like, rather than fearing that they're going to think this about me, your self-programming needs to be, I believe that people will see and respect the difficult decision that I've made by sharing sharing this. And I think so often when we're facing difficult spaces, we need to try and boil down two possible paths of action. And then simply be able to say, what are the pluses and minuses of those two? When you make things complex, it never makes progress easy. Bring it down to two choices. I tell them sooner or I tell them later. I tell them sooner, they might think this or that. Yes, but what are they also going to think from a positive side of it? They're going to thank me for telling me earlier, whatever it might be. They're more likely to respect and see that I am trusting them versus, you know, the ego piece and the other things that go with that. And I think that helps validate what then becomes actually usually quite simple decision from that side. The second side is what is the impact likely to be on the business? So it's like, yeah, I need them. If you need them and the business is either, you know, potentially going bust or, you know, I've also been in the exact same situation in situations where there's going to be a divestiture or other, you know, big kind of changes. And it's like, we need these people. We don't want to tell them because if we tell them they might go, so the answer is not don't tell them, the answer is give them a retention strategy. So put something in place, whether it's a retention bonus or whatever it might be, or otherwise just be open and say, I'm really hoping that me telling you this doesn't mean you're going to, you know, race off down the road, but also be real enough with yourself and say, some people will, because they've got families to feed. And, you know, if your business is, is so close to the edge, then you know, realistically, of course some people are going to leave because they have greater needs.
0: Mm. And I think what you're talking about there is when we talk about the word transparency, it doesn't mean open up every nook and cranny of what you're doing in the leadership space or behind the scenes with the exec or with the board or the decisions, that, but it's being transparent in the what they need to know about the situation for them to make an informed decision and for you to move forward. Exactly. To, yeah. That's what I was thinking as you said that it, it, it really kind of summed up that transparency piece and that they can trust your word and that you're going to give them the information from an honest space, from a very genuine, authentic, honest space. It's like, this is what I I know this is what I don't know, but here's what I'm doing about what I don't know. Yes. And Wayne, before we start going into, because I know, and, and this is something I've got to be really mindful of, is that we, we, we will chit-chat, chit-chat, chit-chat. But I also am really wondering about what actually was the outcome of that health scare that you had.
1: Yeah, I guess I didn't really say it, did I? So it turned out that, that it was, I guess the simple term is a heart attack, not a big one, fortunately. And it was kind of weird because, you know, when I first went in and I kind of did the symptoms and whatever else... The first thing everyone said to me is like, people in their mid-20s who are physically well and and everything else, you know, this isn't going to be a heart attack. And then kind of after they'd done enough tests and whatever else, it's like, you know, it looks like it might have been. And then kind of lots of assessments of exercise and diet and underlying conditions and whatever else and gold stars in every single other area. So this was 100%, you know, let let it be very clear to everyone, this was 100% a physical manifestation of a mental state that I had let happen. Because I don't believe that that woman caused it. I let that happen. I could have dealt with her very differently. And I have, you know, in my business career since, had many situations where I was put into, you know, still stressful situations. I can't pretend that I've suddenly become some Zen person that doesn't experience any stress. But every time since then, I've never taken it from the perspective of this is what someone's doing to me. I've taken it from the perspective of okay this is something that's going on around me it's now a question of how i'm going to deal with that and i've learned to deal with those things completely differently that set me up to be able to have a very successful business career i finished up as regional president for two different large multinational med device companies and you know responsible for a lot of people and a lot of revenue and lots of other things there's no way i could have got to those phases those stages of my career if i hadn't taken on the lessons that happened in that absurd moment. And I think the other thing that I want to share is I also made a choice about, you know, this body of mine. And, you know, Ali, you've been through a lot of physical challenges with your body. And I think I didn't spend too long thinking about whether I was going to wrap this body in cotton wool. I deeply believe, and still do to this day in my 60s, that, you know, my body is strong and that, you know, so long as I keep my mind in a good state, that I should be able to do things and big things. And, you know, I'm very proud to say one of the odd things that I ended up deciding to do was run marathons. And with 10 completed marathons behind me, I look now and say, you know, I had every reason to believe that this body is strong. The only problem I had was my state of mind.
0: Mm, Such powerful words. It is the essence of what this podcast is about, right? I talk about there is gold nuggets in adversity and we may not know what they are in the moment. We may not be able to see them for many, many years like you spoke about, but With every bit of adversity does come something. Whether it does take us a decade to be able to reflect back and realise what it was. I mean, I've seen some horrible stuff, human behaviour, trauma that people have been through and experienced, things that we've experienced from a medical perspective. But if we can find and go back and reflect on, and that's when we talk about post-traumatic growth, is when we can go back and think about, okay, that experience did happen and we can't change that. Like we actually can't go back and write that script again, but what we can do is look at it and say, what did I gain from that? What did I learn from that? Even if the lesson was a hard lesson, what can I now do with that information? Like now that I know that, and now that I've learned that, what am I going to do differently if I come across a situation that's similar? Or how can I share this with the world like you are now to make their journey a little bit easier?
1: I I completely agree. In our life journey, we get opportunities sometimes to come across people with wisdom who we take lessons from. And for me, living in the corporate world for a lot of decades, I I got to attend a lot of kind of like things with motivational speakers and folks that we will bring in to kind of work with our team and wherever else. And one that stood out for me a bunch of years ago, I, I was working with another pharmaceutical company in, in Australia and we we were doing a lot of leadership work and we got associated with this guy who was the lead trainer in the equivalent of the Australian Air Force's kind of top gun academy. And he was he was a fascinating guy to work with because in his world, when he trained people, it wasn't training for Like in sport, you train to win and you win. But at the end of the day, if you lose, no one cares. Like, I mean, no one's life changes. You know, this was a guy that was training people that if he didn't train them well enough, they die because someone else shoots them down. You know, that's the, the nature of it. And the thing that he would so often kind of come back to is, you know, our life is not defined by the things that happen to us. Our life is defined by the way we deal with the things that happen to us. And I remember the very first day that I heard him say that to a, a team of people that we'd kind of brought to to this kind of like offsite that we were doing. Those words just so resonated with me and I was able to really say I believe I've I've lived that. And hearing him talk about it in in that setting kind of revalidated to me just how important it is to continue to make those choices and to recognize that crap happens. And Ali, you've had a lot of crap happen to you. A lot of people who have a tenth the amount of crap happen to them become a life victim. And a handful of people like you, and you stand up and you say, I'm not going to be defined by that. I'm going to find a way to get over it, through it, under it, around it. I'm going to push on through. And that's not easy. You know, it's not a question of saying, you know, hear a Rara speech and suddenly all of these difficulties. I'm sure listeners listening here, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of crap right now. And when you're in the midst of, of that, it's not an easy space. But the fact is you actually do always have a choice. You have a choice about what is your state of mind. You know, knowing a bit about your story, I believe that your state of mind is your superpower. You know, that ability to kind of even face with all sorts of adversity, say... I'm making a different choice. I'm not going to be defined by this. I'm going to push through this. I think something that that I completely have come to believe is we own our choices. We always have a choice. And I think that's just such an important thing for people to kind of really just deeply believe we always have a choice
0: and sitting with that and digesting that how we integrate that into our life and our world and our mindset and and i think too one of the ways if someone's out there listening to this thinking where do I start? I would also start with thinking about what your values are as a human and what your priorities are. Like if you were only pick three priorities in life, what are they? So, you know, mine is family and experience and growth and challenge. So it's easy for me to make decisions because I know that if it fits in one of those pillars, it's a yes for me most of the time. So it allows that reaction. It allows those decisions. It allows the challenge sometimes the challenge gets a little bit easier you know sometimes they talk about like what your why is and that's another thing you can look at but even that can be a big step so just starting with what values sit behind your decision making and what what are your really key pillars in life that are the fundamental posts that you're always going to put your time and energy and resources into
1: I I couldn't agree more I, I couldn't agree more ultimately you know our values are really the center of our circle aren't they and thinking about your values in terms of what's important to us. For me, recognizing that I wanted my life to be, in the first instance, about being a, a good partner and, and parent. And that had to come before the business piece. You know, I can't say that that's the way it has to be for everyone, but I think it probably is for a huge number of people. But a lot of us, at different times, allow the pressures of business and the sense of what it is that we need to do to succeed in business to really deeply impact being a parent or being a partner or both and allow that to happen over an extended period of time and kind of go, but it's just how it is. I'm here to say it doesn't have to be how it is. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to spend less hours. But I think one of the most important things you need to be able to learn. And, I, you know, these days I coach and mentor leaders a lot and, and work with leadership teams. And one of the most important things for me is people find joy in responsibility of leading and get good. At leaving the pressures of work in the office and walking through the front door and being present. I'd love to say, Oh, look, it's just as easy. You just write it down. You know, I just said it, write it down. You'll be fine. Like it doesn't happen like that, but you can train yourself to do that. My heavens, you can be, you can be a so much happier person and a much more deeply fulfilled person. Once you start to realize that you are leaving work at work and you know, you, when you walk in and your partner's there and your kids are there and whatever else, you're actually being present, not like, Don't talk to dad, he's got to he's gotta deal with his stress for the next three hours, you
0: know? I think too on that, it's like you know, I always think about it like when I'm playing a game of football, I'll give a hundred, you know, because I play football all the time, netball, whatever, you know, pick a sport. But I give 110% when I'm on there, on the field, giving it all. But when I walk away, you got to work out what's got to go through the keeper, you know? And so what you're talking about is it's like, is that a right now problem or is it a later problem or is it a work problem? Like, how do I let that go past me? How do I let it go over my shoulder and past me at this point in time because it doesn't belong in this conversation or in this space? If I'm always bringing work home and talking to my partner about it and they're not actually in a space that they want to hear it and they feel like it's impacting our relationship, then I'm doing no one a favor. So how do I let that go through the keeper and create the space and time at work to deal with that? is one thing how to say stop like put your hands up and say no enough is enough like I know you're important I know you know if you're talking about a problem like talking to the problem I know you're an important problem but right now is not my time to deal with it and when to adjust the guidepost is always a big one like we often catch I know I do all the time catch myself in a scenario or a situation or I've started a new chapter of life and I've forgotten to rewrite the rules or move the guidepost like I've forgotten to kind of take a snapshot and take stock and I keep coming back to as a parent I don't know whether it's because I'm right in it but it's the conversation I with my kid the other day. I'm like, babe, have lots of bubbles, lots of bubbles. When one drops, one pops, you know, fall back on your other bubbles. Like that conversation I had about that bad mark that she considered to be not where she wanted to be. I'm like, but you've just gone and fundraised all this money. Are you proud of that? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, and you've just worked over here. Are you proud of that? And she's like, yeah. And so we've got all these other bubbles and that's just to, just to show that business, sport, parenting, relationship, we transfer these skills across all of them.
1: I completely agree, Ali. And I think the other the other big piece of of this puzzle too, you know, I learned from one of my other mentors, this is a guy who's a sports psychologist, worked with the Australian swim team, and he realized that when people define themselves by narrower and narrower things, you run into all sorts of potentially very bad consequences when everything doesn't go perfect. So if you define yourself as a hundred meter freestyle swimmer, that's what you are. And you swim your hundred meter and you do a bad swim that day, then your sense is I'm a failure. You know, with athletes, they started to kind of to get people involved in more different events in the first instance. But more importantly, still with athletes, they worked with them to recognize that their athletic performance is only a small slice of who they are as a person and what their life is. And often, often this was critical for people because when you're an athlete, you have to be able to deal with loss. No one wins every race, no football team. <laughs> I play football all the time too. No football team wins every game. You have to be able to deal with loss and recognize that that's just something that happens along the way. So being able to conceptualize yourself as a much more complete person. So, you know, I have a personal life with my relationships. I have a spiritual life. I have I have a work life and I I maybe have an an athletic life or whatever it might be. And for me, that's become really important and part of, you know, when I work with people in business, so often I deal, I'm working with people who have start to look in the mirror and what they see is themselves wearing a thumping great tattoo that has their title on it. And it's like, is that what you want? Like, do you, who, who do you see yourself as, as a partner, as a parent, as a friend, as a, you know, the child of a parent, as someone within your community, as someone within your spiritual community, like all of those things, they're equally a part of who you are. When you go to work, you have this fancy title, but that's only a piece of who you are. And what that means then is, you know, if you have a bad quarter or you have a bad year and and the analysts say this company is kind of being poorly run or whatever else, you're able to deal with that as it's one slice of your life that's not going well. It's not you are a failure because of that. You know, it goes back to, to kind of like you know, all of those things we've been, these big life lessons that we've been talking about during this conversation, framing yourself around, you know, the different elements of your life and seeing yourself in all of those different spaces is incredibly important to be able to then deal with the crap that happens sometimes in one of those lanes.
0: There was something you said there, though, that I really want to highlight. And you were talking about, and this wasn't the words, but what you were talking about was how you lose says more about your character than when you win. That is also a massive life lesson that I learned early on. How I show up when I'm losing a game on the netball court or when life is challenging in business or when I'm up against someone that I'm finding difficult, a relationship that's difficult. I learn more about myself when I'm up against a challenging situation than I ever will when I'm succeeding.
1: Yeah. And I think that's so true. And when we think of ourselves as, you know, students, then when things don't go well, we can be a wonderful student and take the learns from that and unpack it without necessarily just beating ourselves up over it all the time. In sport, it's, it's simple. You know, two teams walk onto a field, one of them's going to win, one of them's going to lose. In business, one of the things that I think is a curse, frankly, it's a beginning of a bigger topic, but, you know, most businesses are a bit obsessed with market share. There's a simple reality all the market shares of all the different competitors have to add up to 100. So if someone gains, someone else loses. You know, find me the person in their business career that's only ever gained market share. It doesn't exist. So what happens when you don't? And the answer is, you know, you'll be a good student and you'll work out what's going on, what can I learn from it? But you don't beat yourself up over it. And also, I think if, you, if you're if you not seeking to beat yourself up over it, you don't also go racing to find blame because sometimes, sometimes you just get outplayed. I used to work a lot a long time ago with Kieran Perkins, who was, you know, a pretty well-known swimmer. And we used to talk about loss, you know, when we we're kind of doing leadership stuff, and we are talking about losing and, you know, Kieran would always, would always send this very valuable message. If you get out from the pool and you've swum a PB, personal best, if the person in the lane next to you went faster, that's life, you know? You know you've done your best because the clock says you swam a personal best. So you don't beat yourself up over it. You congratulate the other person because they've set the bar at another level. That sets your challenge for next time because you know it's physically possible to go that bit faster. So then you go back to your process and your training and you work on what am I going to do to go next time even better. But loss happens.
0: Ah. <laughs> oh. Can we stay on for another hour?
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is fun, hey?
0: I know, there's so many things and I get, this is when, for everyone listening, this is when I feel a little selfish as a podcaster because i just taking so much value away from this conversation. It's what lights my world up. And so, Wayne, everything you're speaking about, and we spoke about at the beginning that, Al, there is so much wisdom in what you're saying and they're lessons you've learned the hard way. They're not lessons that you've taken off the internet and gone, this is something I'm going to talk to you. You've actually walked the mile. You've seen them in action. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes you've been spat out and felt like you've been run over by a truck, right? <laughs> How do you get yourself back up? And that's what I've really appreciated about your honest conversation today, your vulnerability in this space, because it was huge to come on and, and people often don't realize that. Like it was massive for you to come on and tell your story today. Like we said, it would have been a lot easier to sit in the space that we sat in at the end of this podcast, as people would have heard. But can we just spend a few moments because I'm super excited about what you're doing and where you're going. So can we just have a little quick chat because I know our listeners are going to be like, how do I speak with this guy? How do I get him into my life, into my world? Obviously, there's the podcast, Hard Yards of Leadership, which everyone straight after this, go and listen. Because as you've heard today, the lessons we learn in business are applicable in every aspect of life. What else is on the cards for you?
1: I'm in a phase of my life at the moment where a lot to be grateful for because I, you know, I get a buzz out of doing the podcast and I spend most of my time now either executive coaching. So I coach senior execs and I get a lot of joy out of, out of doing that because I'm able to share a lot of my own experiences and, you know, use those to help people. The way I often think about it, when you're coaching people, you're trying to give people two or three decades worth of life and business experiences in, in, you're turning the decades into months so i get to do that and i i really try and help leaders find find their space find their confidence find the joy in leadership and find ways to be far more successful as leaders whilst actually as i say finding the joy in it as well so the executive coaching is a is a piece of what i do and then i i do leadership consulting and training in those spaces. And so we'll work with organizations, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with engagement and curiosity. They're sort of things, they're tools that I like to work with. I believe that one of the greatest challenges we have today as a society is that so many people go to work and don't find fulfillment from what they do. There's a huge amount of dissatisfaction. You know, that gap boils down to this concept of employee engagement, I really love working with organizations who recognize that they need to improve their level of employee engagement, partly because they're going to get better business results and partly because it's going to give people who work there and people who lead them, those those folks just a much more fulfilling experience. And something that I absolutely learned from my own time sitting behind the big desk is when you give people an at-work experience that is highly engaging They bring their hearts, they bring their minds, they bring their energy. They have an absolute buzz doing doing whatever they're doing, and they produce amazing work. And the times that I've been in in business where we've had the the best results, where we've given the company the market share gains that they were looking for and and more were times when we really had teams of highly engaged people who just loved coming to work. And you don't hear that very often anymore. You know, so many So many people kind of go, I'm just, I'm just dragging my ass, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the thing that I'm thinking about is it's like a bucket. I often talk about the well being bucket, right? You can't sip from an empty cup. So, what you want to do with your companies and your people is make sure that their engagement bucket is full, make sure their trust bucket is full. Yes. So that when we come up against those challenging moments that you and I have spoken about, they're pulling from a full bucket that you've been investing in over time and constantly putting time, energy, money, resources, love, curiosity, All of that stuff keeps going in the bucket because we all hit bumps in the road. We all hit it. Business, people, life, everything. And so how can we fill that bucket up more so that when they take a little bit, we don't even notice?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yes.
0: What I was thinking though is we need to collaborate. I'm like, can you and I run a workshop together? (laughs) Yeah, That's where my brain was going. So I'm going to finish this podcast so you and I can chat about that. Watch this space, I reckon. And
1: I'm up for that. So listeners do watch this space.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. My brain is firing. I mean, I'm just thinking though, for people, we'll have it in the show notes. If people want to find you, are you just able to give a shout out?
1: So easiest way to find me, my business is called Engage for Performance and the four is a number. (laughs) So Engage for Performance. And I am also involved in a, a wonderful movement, which is called the Curious Leaders Circle. We encourage leaders to Explore their own curiosity and bring curiosity out in in folks. Between those two things, you're going to find me, and we can talk about any of the other bits and pieces that I like to do. But otherwise, just go to LinkedIn, and there aren't too many Wayne Rubens, and especially with that R E U B E N. So if you look up Wayne Ruben on LinkedIn, you're going to find me, and you'll see all the, all the stuff that I do. And I love chatting to people, so you know, look forward to anyone who wants to reach out for a chat.
0: Awesome. I love to finish the podcast because we do have to finish. I'm sure we're over time. I haven't looked at the clock once. I love to finish the podcast with what or who in your world truly makes you belly laugh. Like, and when I say this, and I, I love to explain it because I mean laughing where you're on the floor laughing, laughing that is so infectious that other people in the room just start laughing because you are.
1: Unlike the question of what animal do I relate to, this was an easy one for me because actually there's a there's an English comedian called Michael McIntyre, and I'm sure lots of people have, have heard of him. And he helped me get through the pandemic. I almost know all his stuff off by heart now because, you know, I spent a lot of time alone and, and watched a lot of his stuff. And I was talking with my wife a few months ago about this comedian and saying, oh, you've got to get into this Michael McIntyre. And, you know, we showed a couple of videos and she was like, I wonder if he's ever coming to Australia. And tickets had just gone on sale. And guess what? His Sydney date is next week. So I expect to be belly laughing on the floor of the theatre uh, listening to Michael McIntyre, who has just that wonderful ability to kind of see the simple things that we all do and see the funny side of it.
0: Oh, Thank you so much today for coming on and for finding a spot because everyone can hear that noise in the background. But trust me, we did well to find this spot. So we've done the best that we can with the situation, which is what we've been talking about this whole podcast.
1: Exactly. And it's an absolute joy, Ali. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. And you know, I'm sure, I'm sure your listeners just absolutely love every episode you put out.
0: Oh, it's the guests. It's the guests we get on like you. So thank you. As a podcast host. One of the greatest joys is the opportunity to meet remarkable individuals and listen to their inspiring stories. Wayne, our guest today, brought a wealth of experience and knowledge to the table. However, what truly captured me was his sincere demeanour and unwavering presence during our conversations. He is an extraordinary individual. I encourage you all to jump over to his podcast, The Hard Yards in Leadership, where you will uncover a treasure trove of invaluable insight. Wayne has generously shared numerous gold nuggets that can profoundly impact your journey. Also, guys, your support matters greatly. Please don't hesitate to share this episode or leave a review if you found it valuable. By doing so, you contribute to our collective mission of making a greater impact, assisting more people on their paths to growth. Until next week, stay present, live life, and connect with your people. I will see you all next Monday.